Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. What makes a songwriter a great one? Well, when he comes from the centerpiece of Mississippi, that being our state capital of Jackson, he was subject to all sorts of influences that surrounded him. Depending what direction his soul compass was facing that day, he would be influenced by gospel or blues, rock and roll or country. And oh, how the man was. And took his talents to Nashville to make his mark. Please welcome to In a Mississippi Minute, Mississippi-born singer, songwriter, producer, recording artist, Fred Noblock. How's, how's, uh, how's Nashville treating you? Nashville's treating me pretty good. It's, uh, we've had a crazy couple of years here, but uh, um, I'm um, managing to stay at least semi-connected to what's going on. And uh, <laughs> I've started, to, I'm writing fewer songs, but uh, spending more time on them. And uh, right. like I tell people, it's the, the first 1,500 are pretty easy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's that next, it's that next fifteen that really slow you down. Okay, so let's talk about uh, while we're talking about songwriting because I want to spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, I know that you're involved in a lot of stuff that uh, uh, besides just songwriting. You, you've been one of the cornerstones of that town for a long time. When I first moved there in '91, I heard your name so much uh, because of my roots down in Greenville and everything, and and everybody wants to tie mm-hmm. tie it together. Uh, the state of things. So I called last week to a buddy and i asked him to write with an artist that i that i'm working with down here and he said well i don't really write anymore and i okay so of all the people that i've met in my life uh, and and written with so many great writers he would have been the last guy on earth that i would hear that i would think that would say that and which also sort of man that it hit hard to me it hit home I know we're dealing with the streaming thing, and, and I don't going to complain about it. I don't. I, I deal with it. That's where we are. Yeah. But as a songwriter and, and the whole streaming game, you know, where do you think we're heading? And I know you have a lot of songwriters as well as all of us. We're all affected. Uh, where, yes. where do you think it's heading? That's a, that's a very big question, but let me just say this. I think the idea of individual uh, music ownership is is we're we've got a new generation that doesn't think that way. There, I think the subscription model with uh, TV and with music and uh, with movies now, Movie Pass, right? The, the how you sell the things and what what all the value added stuff that goes with it is is just as important to the millennials. You know, my son's twenty five and he's uh, 
you know, he, he just looks at it differently. But when they want to hear something really high quality, and this is a multi-layered answer, so I'm sorry. If yeah, I, I want you to spend, I want, it's a Mississippi Minute. We have 60 of them. You know how that, how that goes. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, when, we, when I was a kid, I got my first iPod when I was nine years old. It was a little seven-transistor Tommy radio that was made in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I had an earbud, and I, uh, you know, this was in 1962. Wow. And I put it in my pocket in the morning, and I rode my bicycle around, and I had my earbud in, and I listened to St. Louis Cardinals games and the radio and whatever, and music and all kinds of stuff all day long. So, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But I had music anywhere. But within 15 years, I had, uh, you know, for back then, a really expensive stereo. I had like a $500, $600 stereo when I was just leaving high school. Right. Because I wanted to hear the records like they were supposed to sound. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, most everybody listens to almost all the music they listen to, either in the car or over their their iPod or iPhone at at the gym or you know whatever Android whatever you're using, and on earbuds. So the listening experience is entirely different from a if I'm a record company and I'm trying to sell something to you, I need to I need to think about how you're listening to what I'm creating. I think that has hurt the, the ability for people to really, really get into music because, to me, the records don't sound as good because they're the way they're being produced, the way they're being mastered, which is a very technical side of the business that most people don't care about, but it's important. And I think it's affected the tastes of the people. I mean, but at the same time, at any given instant in my musical career, Two percent of what's out there is really good, and the other ninety-eight percent nobody's going to remember three years from now. Right, and I think that's still the case. You have momentary hits, and then then they're gone, and the next time you hear it'll be twenty-five years from now on a commercial. Right, 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 right. right so, so, you know, right now I played guitar and ring my bell for Need Awards. Right, and that's the current Walmart. It is um, thing, and uh, so I'm getting paid again for that as a player, but. That, she was a, now there was other things involved with it, but she was a, a, basically a one-hit wonder. And uh, even I was a one-hit wonder. Was why not me? I mean, that's the right. only record I ever had solo-wise that it ever did anything. So that all happens. Um, but as far as your friends not writing anymore, the way it's changed. When I moved to Nashville in '83, fortunately I'd already had some success, so I didn't have to do all the the, um, the hard work that you guys did because I, you know, I'd already made a little little bump in the road, but uh, mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to get rich. You know, it's like, it's starting in the 90s, it started, people started moving here to get rich. Right. And some of them have, and it's great for them, uh, but it sure does make it a little bit different when you when there's so much at stake. And then, God, with the internet, it was supposed to free us up and make more things available. Well, more things are available except time. Right. It still right. takes three minutes to listen to a three-minute song. Right. <laughs> Okay, they can they can digitize all they want to, but that's the truth. And I think that uh, the quality of the recorded music that's for sale, that's available, is uh, sonically not as good. And I mean this in a scientific, you know, acoustical, psychoacoustic way. 
is not as good. It doesn't have the dynamic range that it used to have when we were younger. Right, right. You know, you know, you you bring up an interesting point about you know we used to take pride in the speakers that we had. Like we had, and the, everything was of size back then. So the great turntable, the great receiver, the great cassette deck, the you know the yeah. best needle. Uh, to drop the to drop on the record it, the experience of an of a record and then obviously the speakers were huge back then if you wanted a good sounding speaker I mean you had to buy a size it took up like a whole wall in your you know in your bedroom. I had a pair of ninety eight forty fours in my living room. <laughs> I love. I used to take them to college and it was like an experience just getting people to help me the magnet in them you know. So oh yeah well you had to pick your dormitory out by the side of the elevator. <laughs> Talking to Fred Noblock, Fred. So ring my bell because I have heard it a lot now. They're competing with Amazon with this whole campaign and uh, is what I guess I see the knocking on the door or the ringing of the bell, trying to get people uh, to just keep ordering and staying home and never going out to a brick and mortar place. And and Mm -hmm. I I get it. I want you to take people because I did get the the experience of working with James Stroud for a little while. And he told me the story about you guys and Ring My Bell, the B-side of a record, record labels and like disarray, no chance it's over. I and mean, you know the story, right? I haven't gotten to interview James on the on the show yet, but uh, well, I don't know the story the way James would know the story. But uh, I just remember showing up, and Frederick Knight was, you know, was a really great guy, and uh, he was a producer he was from Birmingham. He'd come over to work with us, and it was uh, Carson Whitsitt, Don Barrett, James Stroud was on drums, Carson was on piano, Don was on bass, and Dino Zimmerman and I on guitars, and then we'd add whatever we'd need later on but I mean the basic tracking band that was it for the day right and I, I just remember we played the, it was a it was a 10 inch reel of fresh 2 inch tape and we played until we ran out of tape yeah <laughs> off we went and we just played for 15 minutes Stroud was sweating like a pig when it was yeah. done yeah 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 <laughs> you didn't have air conditioning going back then you couldn't add the noise <clears throat> did you feel good about it or back I mean now that you know that you're you've, you've figured out I guess what a hit sounded like along the way did that sort of help pave the way i know you went to you went to did you go to to nashville after this or were you jumping back and forth I at went, the time I went to LA. We, well we were doing sessions and stuff and i was the, i was the second guitar player dino was a much better guitar player but i had the good sound on acoustic guitar and i was really concentrating on that and work doing solo stuff mm-hmm. learning how to edit tape learning about engineering learning about the console and stuff and uh that was 19, I started in 75, something like that. Um, so I was like 22 or something, 23. Right. Um, yeah, and I started writing, with, we were working on Dorothy Moore's album. Uh, Love Dorothy. When she had Misty Blue, and uh, we needed an album quick, because it was starting to, you know, just starting to be demand for it. So they needed songs, so I got together with Carson Wichick to try and write Dorothy a song. Now, we never did, but... Uh, we wrote some songs because they didn't like them, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I had never approached it. A, you know, I'd always written stuff, but I'd never approached it in a professional way like that, like target writing. Right. So, uh, you know, like, well, you're aware of this. You know, Monday morning you come into the puzzling company and they hand you, here's who's looking. Right. And, uh, and I never was any good at it, but you'd say, oh, well, so-and-so needs something up-tempo. Really? That's unusual. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, we were trying to write a song for Dorothy, and uh, we were working on the album and getting that finished up, and that's when uh, Carson and I wrote Why Not Me. 
Wow. Because uh, I was going through a, a breakup then. This would have been 78. Yeah. 77, 78. You need a good breakup to you need a good breakup to write a good song. All right, we're talking to Fred Noblock. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We're going to continue to talk on his path to success. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Stand by. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Honeysuckle and Huckleberry Finn. Magnolia Blossom, can't you smell them? I'm Steve Azar. We're with great Fred Noblock, Mississippi-born native. You cannot take the soul out of Mississippi no matter how far in the world you travel. I've spent time... Uh, I think Fred and I wrote one song together, and it was Stumbled Over Something Good. Something good. <laughs> Tumble and I slip. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We hadn't even done anything. See, that's another example. We got together. I was on Universal at the time, and Fred was right. Fred got with Fred to write and hoping we'd have a song that would come out, and uh, and Stroud nixed it. <laughs> right. Your brother. Well, you were working with Ray. Uh, you know, my success happened. I, I, I came to town. And Rick Sanchek was my first publisher manager, and then it was uh, Roger Murrah for a couple years, and then it was Mark Allen Springer and I did something together, and we hit, that's where we found our success, and I had my first hits, and then Rafe and I met during, that, during the Mark Allen stage, and he was the one guy that I felt so free with that I didn't feel constricted, and, and the other guys oh, yeah. were big oh, influences yeah. on me, and sort of oh. rode, rode shotguns, so we'd spend nights... He'd wake up at three. He had foil on his windows. You know, I had three ki- uh, the third child on the way. We'd spend eight hours writing together. We'd have dinner. And at midnight, all of a sudden, you would hear, hey, how you doing? Like, uh-oh, he just woke up. You know, like, right. I got to go to bed. I got to go change diapers in the morning. And rape is just waking up. But, yeah, big influence, obviously. So you, get, you go get signed. Scotty Brothers, obviously, to let people know, are big. Explain Scotty Brothers because... Well, Scotty Brothers would be, think of it as a, it's an imprint inside of a larger machine, which would be Atlantic Records. So, right. in other words, the, comp- the larger company says, okay, you guys go uh, do what you do, bring it in, we'll, we'll put it in our machine and we'll help get it out. And uh, so it's basically functioning like the production companies and publishers do here now, where writers, you know, that's the biggest thing that's changed here in Nashville is that everything's getting pretty vertical. If you're not in the tree with the other monkeys, you don't get no bananas. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, Nashville was, when I moved here, was anybody could get a song on any album. It didn't matter. Where it came from, who wrote it, we don't care. Now it's like, well, who's got the publishing on that? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Can we get a piece of this? Can we get a piece of that? But, no, long story short, we uh, we signed with the Scotty Brothers and put the record out, and it did well in May of 80. And uh, got had a number one in the adult contemporary chart, and it was nice. And I moved to Los Angeles. What's funny is I was I was doing maybe 400 gigs a year here. I mean, in, in Jackson, you know, working out of Jackson, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Atlanta, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I moved out there for $200 a week, and they didn't want me to play anywhere because they didn't want people to see me solo. Yeah, you wanted to be a mystery, right? <laughs> well, they wanted to be, me to be on TV. Oh. I don't know how much people. You know, they they wanted we did all the TV shows. The only show we didn't do was uh, the Tonight Show. But it, we did the rest of them. You know, Midnight Special. Oh, so y'all got to do the Midnight? I love it. What? I'm sorry, I interrupted. Where, where else? Midnight Special. 
Midnight Special, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, uh, wow. Tony Tennille, John Davidson, uh, what was the one, The Dancing Show, we did American Bandstand. But <laughs> wow. Know, just, I had a duet out with Susan Anton called Killing Time, and we did American Bandstand, and it was the slowest American Bandstand in history because it was Susan and I doing a ballad, she did another ballad, and the co-star on the show was George Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... 7.45 in the morning out in L.A. We're out in the valley at the ABC Studios. And I'm getting my makeup done. I'm sitting next to Dick Clark and George Burns. <laughs> He's like, you know, hey, man, high cotton, Bubba. High cotton. I and love it. The whole show, you know, they tape it live, but it's, uh, it, it, I mean, it's, you're running on a clock. So, uh, yeah. Before the show, it's like you show up at like 7 o'clock for camera blocking and wake up and um, there's hundreds of kids lined up with their outfits wanting to be in the, one of the dancers on the show. And uh, so they're going through and they pick the good looking ones out and they, the ugly ones they send home. But so, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is true. I can't, I can't describe it any other way. But <laughs> when we were doing the show, You've never seen a more antsy, nervous bunch of teenagers in your life than those kids sitting in the bleachers watching us do that ballad stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were waiting for you to pick the tempo up a little bit. <laughs> they were waiting for us to leave what they were doing. <laughs> and well, the next show that day was, uh, well, Firefall. And uh, I forget who the other act was. They had, Firefall had, um, you are the woman I've always yeah. seen. I from the start. Yeah. They had that out, and uh, that was the day I got to meet Mark Andes, who was in one of my favorite bands growing up, Spirit. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Spirit, uh, I've done work with uh, the lead singer. Um, I did a soundtrack with, uh, come on, Nature's Way. He sang Nature's Way. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 well, it's not Andes, and what Randy California's dad. What is, uh, what is wrong with me? Um, this is a senior moment. I'm having one. We'll think of welcome. it in a minute. I'll think of it in welcome. a minute. Welcome. You're going to love this in about Fantastic. I know I'm on, I'm on your, I'm right there on your hills, and, and I just had one, but I, now I'm going to have to Google while we're talking. Okay, go ahead. Mm. <laughs> no, but we, uh, uh, that was just one of those interesting things that, um, you know, I went home and I called my mother and I said, you'll never guess what I did this morning. She says, what? She says, did a gig with George Burns. And she said, really? And she says, you know, your daddy had to take the car in today. <laughs> Like, <laughs> like no big deal. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I love it. I love talking to Fred Noblock. So let's talk about your folks real quick. They they were uh, always supportive. Uh, what what did they do growing up? And and you know, obviously a big part of who you became, uh, the biggest part. So uh, what was it like uh, in the household? Were they musicians or entertainers as well? No, well, the the only person. In the family that played another instrument, and my mother had eight brothers and sisters, and my father had three, so the only other person in the family was Uncle Walter. He played piano a little bit. But uh, they always encouraged Well, Daddy and Mom were great dancers, and uh, Daddy grew up in New Orleans, and he was actually a dime dancer at the Roosevelt Hotel during the Depression. Right. Um, cool. So you know what that is? No, I'm going to let you tell me right now. Okay, well, he, he would he was a single guy. He'd go down there, and he would dance with women for a dime a dance. Come on. Um, yeah. And uh, he was a great dancer. Mom was a great dancer. You make so, more money doing yeah, that than writing songs now. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. In fact, uh, if I didn't have a bad hip, I'd be a dime dancer right now. <laughs> no, but the, uh, 
they, they were always, you know, there was always music. We didn't have a, a nice stereo. We just had a thing that would play 45s, but music was always important. So my oldest brother, Chip, played trumpet. Wow. And, uh, Love my dad, dad grew up with Al Hurt. Oh, that's and, uh, cool. Yeah, we went to high school together. And uh, Donnie played drums. My oldest brother, Donnie, played drums. And then uh, I started to kind of, Donnie would take a lesson, and I'd, he'd come home and tell me what they taught him. So I started playing drums, and then Mom and Dad were taking these computer classes. and uh, Using the punch cards, I, I imagine, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't keep and, up with uh, those. In fact, there was never a grocery list when I was a child that wasn't written on an IBM card. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> we had millions of them. But anyway, it, um, they were taking a computer programming course, and it was, I was like 10 or 11, maybe. I said, uh, we had a... a kick drum, a snare drum, and a splash cymbal with no hi-hat. I was trying to get Dad to buy a hi-hat for the drums. <laughs> and he said, Freddie don't know how to play drums. He's going to have computers if they do that. <laughs> so I took up guitar, and uh, and I remember uh, they bought me a Stella. It was a $27 Stella, which is a, a cheap first harmony guitar. Probably from Sears, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that was uh, that's what I started on when I was twelve, or right? Something, something like that, right? And uh, my little brother Kevin is a great whistler. There was always something musical going on, and uh, as far as being encouraging, you know, I think they they wanted me to get my education, and I wanted to get an education too. But it was uh, I was good at music, and then I had a low draft number, and the Vietnam War was raging, and um, you know, trying to figure out how I was I really cared. Right. About what was going to happen was kind of hard to get wrap my hand around. So mm -hmm. I did music. I left. Uh, I went to Southern Mississippi for a year, and then went to LSU for three semesters. And I quit to uh, get a construction job, save up some money, and buy some gear, and start a band. And I did. We're talking to Fred Noblock, and I just realized without googling that it's Jay Ferguson is who the guy I worked with. Yeah, Jay Ferguson. He had Goodbye much. Thunder Island, cool song, and I show up at yeah. his house to do a movie soundtrack in Santa Barbara. And he's got this avocado orchard. And I'm not an avocado guy, although everybody in my family is, and they don't understand it. But it was an orchard. And the girl that was in the video with him is there, obviously, years and years later. It was his wife, and they're still married. And I was going, like, this is refreshing. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, anyway, really well, great. Those guys were good. Now, I saw, I saw them several times. Uh, New Orleans just, uh, New Orleans Pop Festival, uh, Atlanta. Right. Uh, where else? They were good. They were good. And Randy California was a, you know, he was a electronics genius. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people do today that he invented, which is really cool. Right. But that's just me. Uh, you talked about Dorothy Moore. Let's do this. You can, uh, you can choose between, and you can't choose both, like some of my guests, because they just don't get it. Uh, you can choose between Dorothy Moore or R.L. Burnside. <laughs> uh, well, just because I, I, I talked to her about a year ago. Uh, I'll go with Dorothy Moore. All right, that's it. You're with Freddie Noblock. We have pulled that from the the depths of his soul. You're in the Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. 
right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're with the fabulous Fred Noblock, who Nashville, Tennessee, stole away and kept. They stole me away, but I was able to free myself uh, and move back to the Delta. And it's been a blessing for our kids to, to experience what you and I went through growing up. Brady, let's talk about it. What is in the water? What is it about this place that uh, we call home that you can, you, no matter how long you live somewhere else, or if you've lived there longer, once you've been rooted in the Del- in Delta and Mississippi, South Mississippi, the hills of Mississippi, the pines of Mississippi, it doesn't matter. It influences you all the way through. I and mean, what is it? Well, it's a number of things that, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, growing up there was a, a, a terrible time uh, for a large po- portion of the population. And then growing up there was a place where all of these cultural forces just rammed into each other. I mean, if you think about the music mixing with the uh, the, the racial stuff, the Vietnam War, the voting stuff, uh, when you think about, we were the we were the, the vanguard of American culture. Right. The the fight was being fought there uh, more than anywhere. I was raised Catholic in Jackson. Yeah. Which is a pretty pretty darn lonesome place to be yeah i'm catholic i'm catholic in the delta so i get it yeah and so you know it's part of that uh, the greek lebanese thing right because uh we used to play on football every year uh and then on the coast and in natchez and that was about it it's unbelievable to have heard all the stuff we've heard and yet still discover new things all the time i remember um i remember the first time i heard the mississippi mass choir oh man now, if you talk, if you want to talk about watershed moments in American musical history, the creation of that is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. It was stunningly good, right? Stunningly good in a world-class way. Mm-hmm. And then just thinking about how uh, it used to be funny when we were at Malico, we cut all these R&B records out there, but the artists would come in if they didn't know who we were. They'd walk in and there's these five white guys sitting there. <laughs> and it's like, well, where's the band? Yeah, yeah. Oh, where's the band? Yeah, where's the band? <laughs> <laughs> so, you dudes are white. That's well, but you can't hear, you can't see that when you're listening. <laughs> so, well, there, there, there are so many people down there that I've grown up with artistically who are deep uh, on multiple layers without having to make too much noise about it. I mean, I used to live five doors down from Eudora Wells. Right, that's my point. Now, that's my point. It's, you couldn't it's help. A, it's a very, it's a very wide runway, landing strip, if you will, and but it's also a very wide takeoff spot. So, right. Talk about- I, I, I tell people, you know, why are there so many riders from Mississippi? I said, well, there's nothing to do down there, so we just make things up. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously, obviously, that's what we do. But we are a very creative bunch, and I'm not just talking about songwriting and making records and voices. Oh no, not we're at talking all. about pottery, right? Art, culinary. Beth, yeah, Beth Henley on you know her writing and just dozens and dozens of things. Uh, musically, it's uh, it's a, a place where you're not you're not in the middle of the highway. You're not on the you know this is a definitely uh, a country road you're on. So chances are you're going to come up with something pretty unique. I mean, oh, I'm just thinking of all the different writers from here. 
uh, you know, to how different they all are. I mean, right. Uh, Steve Forbert to Paul Davis to Mac McEnroe to Paul Overstreet. Uh, you know, and no, you're right. It never ends. It just it's almost it never like ends. if you go, you know, it's funny because when I was. Uh, I was doing every year for the Sanderson Farms Classic. I'll do one of my songs. We'll shoot mm-hmm. a little video for the intro to the Golf Channel for their for their tournament. And uh, I'll use a couple. Of my, I've used my Mississippi songs, and and the, I, I sent them a list. I said, "Hey guys, why don't y'all play music in and out of the break that's strictly Mississippi artists?" And I also the, to the XM guys, the guys in Sirius XM that do the play by play on the PGA Network. So when I sent it to them, they were going like, "What?" we just want Mississippi artists. That's what you said. And I said, these are all Mississippi artists. They said, there's no way. (laughs) So, and I was going like, look, this is a short list of like a hundred, you know, and they're going like, they all came from, I said, yeah, man, this, and it was just like the next year they called him. Presley, Muddy Waters, Jimmy Rogers, can't stop. You can go all day. Jimmy Buffett. Well, you know, you just mentioned a name that doesn't come up enough is Jimmy Rogers. I love Jimmy Rogers. Well, how, how water, the, the watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was the creation of an entire style of music that continues today. It's not as popular as it used to be, but that that sound, that approach, that rhythm of that was pretty darn cool. Oh, I know, and they're 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 doing a great job of paying tribute to him, you know, in the Meridian area and all that. There's so, so right. much going on right well, now. You know, are they still doing the festival? Because we used to play that every year. And yeah. They don't call me anymore. Yeah, they do, but they've built all these incredible arts, the incredible art center there now, mm-hmm. and it just, there's a lot going on, and uh, and I think what's happening now is a lot of these towns are gravitating toward their rejuvenation, you know, like we are in, the, in Greenville here, uh, and in the Delta, everybody's starting to grab a hold of, of this art form that the world loves and people are coming now and they're and they're rebuilding and uh and keeping their historical value and re, and now celebrating it that it was actually something of economic value and now people are coming to visit these places and so uh it was funny last year we had 23 million visitors and we only have 2.9 million people in the state not a bad right. number, and that number's growing every year. So last year we had seven hundred thousand more people show up. I know these stats because I work up close and personal with our <laughs> head of tourism and Governor Bryant and everybody. So they, I'm the music and culture ambassador uh, until and uh, through 2019, and so I get to be involved in a lot of this stuff and talk about it because it being here, it's like the most important thing to me, and uh, just really well, cool. White still involved in all that. Uh, Malcolm White uh, is involved. He's now head of the Arts Commission and right. uh, was doing tourism and then moved over to that way. And the, our boy C. Ray, uh, who used to do it before Malcolm, is now back. So, uh, But they're all working hand in hand. It's all, you know, we're all doing things. Malcolm's an amazing guy. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I go way, 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 way back. Right. Did you ever play Howlin' Miles? How, was that around when you were you were kid? When you were a kid? Uh, I didn't play Howlin' Miles. I, I came back to play it, but... Uh... No, I played uh, this place in Hattiesburg. Ichabod's played at uh, the old uh, Oliver's over in Highland Village. Right. Uh, yeah. That was a great place. I know exactly that where that bar. area is, yeah. Yeah. We- and uh, you know, Malcolm, he had uh, two Manellas over in Pittsburgh. I did a lot of gigs for Malcolm. Yeah, we we uh, we did the same thing growing up. We were playing, starting a fraternity and 
and obviously had the garage band and took it and the more people i guess would see it the more that they that they wanted to see us for some crazy reason and and get to the point where we played every vein in mississippi arkansas louisiana alabama and when i graduated college fred i had i went from a van to two 30-foot trucks had nine guys on the payroll my brother and i and uh, he'd manage things and i would i would go throw guitars and be stupid and playing songs that we never need to ever go back and listen to but for some reason uh i believed him and we had a lot of fun we were having fun you know and so then also so so when i came to nashville some of those guys had passed away or it was like a lot of tragedy happened around me and so i thought it was over and then all of a sudden you know i got the Albanettas of the world and Rick Sanchez. I got, I was on, oh, it was, wow. yeah, oh, man, I'm, hey, God rest his soul. John Prine's coming to the Delta to play at the BPAC at Delta State. And I, every, oh, obviously, um, every time I, I think or hear of John Prine, I think of his sidekick, Albanetta, one of the greatest men I ever met, ever. Yeah, he's a neat, he's a neat guy. Yeah. He still had the first penny I ever made him. Really? <laughs> did he really? He did, didn't he? Oh, yeah. We had bunches of great discussions. I, I, I met him because um, I wrote with Steve Goodman when I lived out in L.A. And Steve had come to a show uh, at the Golden Bear and, uh, in Huntington Beach and said he wanted to write. So this was 1982, I think. And uh, that's when we wrote, uh, we started I Love Her Forever, finished it the next year with a new two. But, uh, wow. That's when I met Al, because uh, he was doing John and Steve Goodman. Right. And, uh Imagine those meetings, huh? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I mean that'd be incredible. Well, it, it had a lot of soul in that meeting, I can promise you, oh, and other things. You know that's right. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I mean, those guys were funny. Um, and I haven't seen John in a while. I need to go. I need to go look him up. I'll give him a call. Oh, but uh, incredible. Yeah. Um, this new album's good. Have you heard it yet? I, I haven't heard it, but I know my son, who's uh, out. In, he's out in L.A. now. He's a filmmaker, and just he's uh, he's all into Prine. He's into Tom Waits. He's into you know a lot of. He's turned me on to stuff. But he did say the other day that he goes, "Have you heard the new Prine record?" And I said, "No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen. In fact, I'll, when I get off this phone, phone with you, I will crank it. I will go do. And you know what I'll do? I'll go to to uh, Spotify and stream it for nothing." <laughs> Well, you have to listen to commercials, but, uh, you know, about the streaming thing, uh, you know, we've always had streaming music. Nobody ever paid for something on the radio, but you did have to sit through some Coca-Cola commercials. Okay? Right. So, you know, it's, this is nothing, nothing really new. It's, uh, it still takes three minutes to listen to a three-minute song. Nothing's different. Hey, you like it? Good. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. We're talking to Fred Noblock. You're in the Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. Easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Minute, we're having all sorts of fun. Freddie, you gonna write today? You said you you said you're you're doing what I'm doing. Meaning, I wake up when the I don't have to go get 
You know, I make the joke of the Captain Crunch, but at Roger Murr's, that's what I ate. I ate Captain Crunch before I went, now go, go right. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it was like frozen, my mind, you know. And uh, and so, uh, are you spending time, like I'm spending time when it, when it calls, when the room calls me, or the song calls me. I get in there and it's just so wonderful because it, it's well, I've, painless. I've always kind of been that way. Um, you know, it's like, um, I do like to sit down and try and make stuff up, okay, just out of the blue, but not these days as much as when I was younger. I mean, uh, first of all, I thought everything I thought of was new, and now I know that's not true. Right. So, yeah. uh, when you're 35, you think, I'm a genius. And then when you're 65, it's like, well, obviously you're not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the, uh, I, I spend more time on fewer songs, and I really, really concentrate more on the lyrics now, um, especially because it's, uh, I'm, I'm teaching guitar and I'm teaching music theory. I'm teaching Pro Tools, you know, how to do digital audio software, right. doing installs and stuff, because I've always enjoyed that. I mean, I'm, I, I am a gear queer. Uh, right. And I like messing with stuff, and uh, it makes it more interesting. So there's, I'm doing a lot more things that take up my time. I really, uh, and then I'm starting a book. I'm working on the outline of I got to call you when we do because I just I want to call you again and do uh, do a feature on the book because I just did uh, I just spent two Mississippi minutes 120 of them which was what they are with the great Norbert Putnam and it was really it was great man because and just hearing his story so I think that's great because you got so many stories I also just made a record with David Briggs so a couple of those Muscle Shoals cats I've had some time with over the last couple years but let's talk about I want to talk I know you're going to be digging in your book's going to dig into it all because you've written a book since we've since we've started talking and it's so interesting take me through Malico records back in the day and you guys started making those records this group of guys uh, and just sort of take me briefly on that whole trip really established before I ever got involved, uh, it, you know, I didn't start working out there until 75 or 74, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was Mitch Maloof and uh, Wolf Stevenson and Tommy Couch right. uh, started it as a studio to do, I mean, it was, it was the only recording studio in Jackson. Right. So it was like, this, it was fulfilling a need. I mean, Johnny Vincent had a little place up at the Vincent building, but uh, I'm not sure if they were ever up. Uh, you know, a, a turnkey operation where, you know, walk in, hear, hit, hit play, and record, and go. So Malico was kind of the first company like that, and uh, they had they had a hit. Right. And uh, Paul Davis wrote uh, Ride em Cowboy, and uh, there was, uh, you know, there was, there was, everybody was good enough, and they were making noise, and then at the same time, Muscle Shoals had blown up, Stacks had blown up um, in a good way. Right, know, um, right, right. Fame was, was well established, so the records, and sonically, the records were competitive worldwide because they, they sold and everybody liked them. Right. Um, so uh, through the 70s, when the, when Malachi started having some, some big hits, I mean, there was the biggest record, I think, was, well, Ring My Bell was the, the biggest selling, but the most important record, I think, was Mr. Big Stuff. That sounded as good as the uh, uh, staple singers. Uh, I'll take you there. Right. I mean, remember that record? That's oh that yeah, record I'll take sound. you there. So it's yeah. so huge sounding, and Mr. Big Stuff. I heard it the other day. It's just it's right there. You know, 
uh, nickels and nickels, dimes and dimes. I mean, it's just right, right with everything. Uh, you know, uh, head, head and shoulders above the, the rest. I love it. And it's uh, and, and the funk feel. I mean, it's Stroud playing drums. I mean, the feel of it is just incredible. Well, Tony Robbins is playing bass on that. Yeah. Sure. So, so the obviously that experience was just such a big part of of you becoming. Uh, becoming you. All right, let me ask you this because I'm jumping. Well, but... it's, like, it's like handing a, a brand new lab to Batman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so tell me your days as a record guy. When you when you switched over and you spent your time at RCA, uh, did you enjoy the process of, because uh, you you still do, but what, what was that like? Well, I'm, I've never worked for RCA. Tom ran RCA. So Skyler did, right? Skyler, yeah. Well, I, thought, I thought for sure. Right. So you all wrote together all the time. Yeah, we worked together, and we, you know, when he started running RCA, we, we weren't working together as much. But uh, he was busy. Uh, he had a job, <laughs> right? And I didn't. Right. <laughs> uh, was it? Uh, was it? Forty-five years of professional history uninterrupted by work. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that he said uh, that sticks with me, you know, because you know, you're listening. If you're in that position, you're listening to songs all day long. And once, you know, at least for four or five hours a day. Yeah, you get fatigued. Said, uh, right. One thing that I've noticed is there are a lot of good songs. There's not very many great ones. No, I know. I know. And we've all done it. Yeah, got plenty of good ones. Easy to write a good written. one. Yeah, yeah it's right. Extremely well written. Everything's correct, and it has absolutely no soul. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, we try to, uh, try to avoid that. Well, that's part of the process. That's why we practice doing it, and we keep doing it. But obviously, uh, that's the way it goes. Well, listen, hey, buddy, I know I could talk to you all day and night. I miss you. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. But uh, your Mississippi well, Minute is officially over. How do you like that? Well, it's been a pleasure, Stephen. We're in a Mississippi well, Minute. Uh, I'm with the great Freddie Noblock. We've had enough. You guys, blessings out there. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them where you can take your sweet time. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.